If you liked hearing Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson provide secrets on negotiating for total compensation, dealing with microaggressions, or simply being able to just be your authentic self, then welcome to season two of Secrets. Are you one of the only on your job? Do you wonder why the same type of people continue getting promotions? Have you dreamed of getting to the top but don't know how? Welcome to Secrets Season 2, a podcast devoted to showcasing dilemmas faced by underrepresented employees in their quest to climb the career ladder. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have experienced the corporate grind for more than 20 years. Now they want to share their adventures, pitfalls, and C-suite secrets that they've learned along the way. So let's fill up those cups and get started. Here are your hosts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Ricky, what's going on today, my brother? Hey, man, when I'm still thinking about that colorism episode, man, that was crazy. It was a good one. (laughs) So, look, Cecilia, Jamie, and Irania, man, they were so, there were so many gems that, that we need to unpack, you know, from that discussion. And those sisters were not let loose. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They they were breaking it. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did not hold anything back, right? But the one thing for me, it was it was evident that we all take for granted the impact that colorism, like the tone of your skin Mm -hmm. and all of the extra stuff surrounding it can have on people, but especially the sisters. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And they did do their thing. And as as we promised, we ain't done with them yet. (laughs) So, you know, our conversation was so rich, so rich. And not only did we talk about colorism. But we ended up talking about what it's like for black women trying to climb the corporate ladder. Like, so we already know how hard it is to climb it anyways. But, you know, we, we often reference the Malcolm X, you know, quote, like a couple of times on secrets about black women being the most disrespected and unappreciated people in America. Mm-hmm. And our friends at Harvard Business Review called the challenge that black women face in the workplace as intersectional invisibility. That's a big word. That's Harvard Harvard kind of word. This shit is deep. You know what I'm saying? Now, Keith, you and I, we know what it feels like to be or to feel invisible, you know, as black people. No doubt. No doubt. But damn, KP, our sisters have it even worse. They sure do. They sure do. And we'll talk about that today. And in today's episode, we'll continue our conversation with Cecilia, Jamie, and Arania as they share what it's like to be a black woman in corporate America. Mm Mm-hmm. They'll talk about sponsorship, code switching, and being the only in the room. Mm-hmm. And we'll provide some receipts on black female representation in the workplace. And we'll close out with secrets from my sister queens providing advice that they have for black women as they try to climb the corporate ladder. So now look, Keith, I mean, let's kind of like set the stage here. And I, I mean, we talk about being black in corporate America, and I know some people feel like, you know, we're just putting a lot on it. And I mean, being black in corporate America can't be any different than anybody else. Oh, yeah. It's, okay? it's gravy. Now, Keith, we spend a ton of time with people with our coaching and panel interviews. But I can recall a specific story, you know, told to us by a sister who remained nameless. Okay. Yes. This sister who said that she uh, busted her tail to go through the interview process for a company that, again, will remain nameless. Yes. Okay. We can call but, nobody out. You know, if many of our listeners are listening right now, and they're like, interview process, like, damn, I went through six, seven, eight, nine interviews, right? Mm-hmm. So this sister went through, I mean, let's say, let's call it five, six interviews where she just killed it. She mm-hmm. was dropping the mic every time she finished that interview. I mean, she had her mouthpiece tight. 
She had her gear on point from head to toe. And I'll be damned if she didn't get the doggone job. Yeah, she got it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She did her she thing. Did everything she was supposed to do. Now, the kicker is that when she was interviewing, she had her hair kind of long. You know, let's say like maybe mid-back shoulder length, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it yeah. was considered yeah. long, right? Yeah. But prior to starting on the first day at the new gig, she cut her hair, you know, yeah. from maybe, you know, whatever that length was to a very short style. Let's just call it Holly Berry style. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just so yeah. for the visual. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't unprofessional by any means. No doubt. Okay? Halle Berry like, certainly an unprofessional. Right. I mean, it wasn't professional okay. by, unprofessional by any means. And when she arrived on the first day, the white man that would now be her boss said to her, now look, y'all, I ain't making this shit up, okay? This is coming straight from, from our sister that told us about this. The new boss says, oh my, what happened to your hair? I mean, we liked it better when it was longer. If we had known you were going to do that, we probably wouldn't have uh, hired you. Wow. Now, KP, what the hell was that, man? Wow. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Wow. Like, But the craziest part was, like, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm going to take it to the next level. This sister was supposed to feel like she was, she was at a place where she could contribute and also be her authentic self. Like, come on, man. Well, we know that ain't going to happen now. <laughs> this thing's a wrap before it even gets started, <laughs> right, right? Right, right, And that's so crazy. And I remember our conversation with Amber Cabral, you know, a couple months back. And she was also talking about how people were talking about her short hair, right? Mm. And assigned all kinds of stereotypes to her. I mean, this is, like, so stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. And another issue is that myth about the angry black woman. Oh, God. And I can remember sitting in a talent calibration session, right? We were going through a big restructuring process and trying to decide who's going to stay, who's going to go, all that kind of stuff. And we started talking about this black woman who was super talented and had a very kind of no-nonsense style. We know these sisters, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Some people in the room started talking immediately, talking about her personality. Oh, uh, she she might not be a good fit. Right. Here we go. Versus her performance. Mm-hmm. Right. At the end of the day, they wanted to talk about how she seemed angry all the time, or too direct, or not easy to get to know. You know, all this shit, cold, all this cold. But you know, she's producing though. Right. But she was producing. <laughs> exactly. So I had to call that shit out. Right. And so then I told my colleagues on top of that, after this process is over, she's staying and she's joining my team. <laughs> Fuck all that. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, right. We're just going to shut this down because I know it's not going to end well. So, and she joined my team and she ended up doing some great things, right? right. But it shouldn't have had to come to that at the end of the day. So, anyway, enough about us and our stories. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on and get to uh, Cecilia and Jamie and Ironic. Look, y'all buckle up. This colorism, like in these white spaces, as we're talking about, right? Like, what is it? You know, explain it to, to us because we can only talk about what it's like for me and Keith to be in boardrooms. And then we're like the only brothers who are people cracking jokes about whatever it is because they don't know what we're about, you know, but they're cracking jokes. And they want to get us to laugh or not to say, yeah, that's funny. And sometimes it's not. Most times it isn't. But what what is it like in this case for you, like being a black woman, like in the workplace? Do you feel like you get treated differently, whether it be because your light skin or dark complexion, whatever it is, do you feel like there's a difference? And I know you all kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's maybe peel, peel back the onion just a little bit more. Um, in the workplace, I would say where I kind of realized that things weren't 
you know, early in career, you know, it's not, it wasn't about, you know, the hard, you know, how hard I worked, the results that I got, I wasn't being promoted at the same rate as my contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And that, then I'm just like, oh, well, shit, I got mad, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I didn't wake up to that for a while. You know, I didn't wake up to it for, for quite a while, but all along I have great relationships with everyone. Right. But it didn't matter. Right. And so I start to think about, well, what is, am I actually being impacted because I'm black? Seriously. So I started looking, you know, we have these discussions in these AAF groups and it's like, well, the typical executive is promoted. White executive is promoted in, in, in an E-band I, this, that my former company kind of you're in an E-band. And I remember, okay, I'll say this. I'll tell the story. I was at the management leaders, management development course in Crotonville, New York, where they send kind of these up and coming leaders. And you have these one-on-one sessions with these senior executives. And I went into this meeting and I'm talking about my team and the, the, the leader, this guy says, hey, time out. This is your selfish time. Let's talk about you. And I was like, okay, well, hey, I'm, I'm in this role and you know, definitely want to be kind of leading at a, a broader scale, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, here's a rule of thumb. You want to be an executive man by the age of 40 to really take advantage of the financial benefits. 40, okay? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is great. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> I went on to learn that the average kind of black executive doesn't get to executive band until 45. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, that was when I started just to think about, I mean, I, you know, the reasons for these groups, you know, why they exist, you know, how we have to watch out for each other, but structurally we're five years behind our peers. If you make it at all. Right. And there's a, there, there's a lot of reasons that that could be right. Um, but in the workplace, that's where I really kind of, I, I realized that I had to make a change, make a move and kind of bet on myself and go find it for myself. So the, it was, that was the thinking. I, I think Ricky to answer that question is how for me it played out in the workplace. And when I woke up to, I think this is, I think it's a black thing, right? Mm-hmm. And most of my life, I, I thought my effort, how I showed up was going to get it, right? was going to, my relationships that it didn't, none of those things mattered, right? So I felt like, I felt like that's when I was most impacted by colorism. Yeah. Well, I think they do matter, but that's the table stakes, right? That's, you have to do all of that and. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because if you're not delivering, if you're not getting the results, if you're not putting in 10X, you're probably not even going to be considered. But you're right. It, I, I experienced the same thing in terms of you're putting in the grind and it's not getting noticed. Uh, so I think one of the things that I've tried to do is speak to other, anybody I can, Um, that's a lot younger than me to say, okay, you got to set a plan and what are you doing? Because I think that sometimes you you just put your head down and work hard and hope people notice they won't. And you will see younger white men just pass you by. And I I would enhance that as you tell, as you go through this super quick, I had the white mentors. It wasn't just about the work. It was the networking. It was the meet 10 new people a year. It was the get to headquarters. It was that. Right, the playbook. What else? Yeah, the sponsorship. We talk about this. We talk about yeah. that sponsorship is important. Somebody's got to yeah. put their credibility on the line and, and say, I'm hiring Aradia. Absolutely right. Yeah, I had sponsors that put me in different roles, but they didn't crack the E-band. Mm-hmm. Okay, it happened for a while. So that's that's all I'm saying is like, even when you have the playbook, what is what else? What's the other? Is there another overlay here that I'm missing? <laughs> that's where I felt like is this is this in my experiences to some degree some level of, of racism but did you feel like you're those people that were quote unquote sponsoring you really were speaking 
were advocating for you at the table and nobody was listening to you or listening to them? Or do you think that they really weren't? I got to, I'd say some fairly plum assignments in the senior professional band. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Cecilia? I was just going to say, I think oftentimes as people of color, we're asked to fix issues that are not ours to fix. And these are, you know, like, yes, it's great to have a sponsor. And, you know, I had someone to, I'm a part of a couple of black women professional organizations in tech. And, you know, they're like, yeah, you need to get you a white male sponsor. Get you a, as a black woman, you need a white man sponsor because they will open the doors for you. And I subscribed to that for a very long time. And I've got lots of great white male sponsors, right? But to your point, Damien, progression has still been slow. Right. Um, and so these are not things that I could fix. I, we are we are already over delivering as black women in the workplace. We are buying the bacon, cooking the bacon, serving up the bacon, making BLTs. <laughs> you name it. We're, we're chopping bacon for cop salads. We do it all. Right. Because that's just kind of who we are. Right. But these issues that we're talking about, I think, are things that need to be started at the top. I, t- I attended a, um, a conference this past week. It's called Makers Conference. And in Makers, they have every year, they do kind of a spotlight on diversity. And in the last couple of years, they've been really highly focused on Black women. The attendees of this conference are like the top C-level and um, diversity kind of CEOs uh, that they have around most of the, the Fortune 500 companies that come to this conference. And so they always start with a research um, from Joanna Barsh. And if you're not familiar with her work, she's fire. And she really digs into and challenges these C-level executives to kind of push past their own biases and look at what they're doing. And one of the very first things that she said this year was centered on just how Black women, just the slow promotion rates and the velocities and how white peers are 10x promoted, 10x times faster than Black women specifically. And, you know, one of the things they talk about is starting at the top, right? Like starting at the very, very top. Our leaders have to the leaders of these companies, these presidents, these you know high C level suite folks, they're the ones that have to institute this change mm-hmm. from, the, from setting deeper purpose for what they're really trying to do and putting money behind those efforts and things like that. Right? They have to be focused on what type of behaviors when they're hiring. You don't just hire you know the same people for the skill set. It also has to be that this is a value of theirs as well. So you're hiring not only skill set you're hiring values, right? And how do you institute that in? Because that's the only way you make real meaningful change. And that in collaboration with us advocating for ourselves, I think is what really is gonna make the difference. But it's not a problem for us to fix. I think it's been an ongoing discussion and we are always fixing stuff, even in the land of racial justice right now. Like we are leading the charge. Who is, who, you know, they're killing us. We have to go f- figure out how to educate them to help them stop killing us, right? Like it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's such a vicious cycle. It's very, um, it's taxing and exhausting. And I'm really excited and happy that there seems to be a slight smidgen of movement in terms of people recognizing the weight that they place on the shoulders of people of color to do this work. And I hope that there is an opportunity for people to be rewarded for their efforts in doing this work. But it all starts at the top and it, it needs to permeate down. If, that, if your leader isn't talking that, when we think about companies and our next steps and you know places we want to go, 
that is going to be kind of what I'm looking at is what is the value and how does that trickle down? I'm not just looking at my hiring manager. I'm looking at what are the values of the leaders that are there and how committed are they to making sure that there's an equity play for all folks within the company, right? Um, Bias be damned, basically, you know? (laughs) Regardless of, of what shade of, you know, black we are, we're all black, right? And we've all have a story that kind of gets us to where we are. But I'm probably even want to maybe transition a little bit is maybe I like for each of you just to tell us about, you know, is there has there been a time when you've been within our community or even at work? Because I know people say slick shit, you know, at work sometimes, right? And and in your families, there is really no filter. But have you been accused of, you know, now we're all black but not being black enough or maybe being too black. Hell no, I'm blackity black black. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I think one of the, so I'll, I'll just share quickly. Like, I think we are allowed to be black. I think we are not allowed to be multifaceted in our blackness. We are Mm -hmm. not often allowed to be like the tip, the typical characterization is this strong black woman. Right. And we've read about this time and time again. It gets featured in Hollywood, like, you know, black women doing it all. Like, yes. But where where it tends to fall down is when you don't have the other dimensions of what it means to be a black woman in terms of the softness, the nurturing, the sensitivities. We're not allowed that space. Oftentimes, you know, you can even see that come to life at work. You know, if you're not smiling and jovial and happy. What's wrong with Cecilia today? Like, is there something wrong? Is there, you know, does she have an, I think Cecilia's got an attitude. She's mad about something, right? And sometimes I don't just, I'm just in my own space and time. I'm really not even thinking about you. However, because of all of the things you want to assign to me or what you think you know about a Black woman, that you want to place those things on me, right? And so, and, you know, one of the things that bothers me the most is being put in a box, right? Being placed in a box is, is very, um, exhausting for me um i prefer i prefer to be able to be seen in a variety of ways if i choose today that i am cecilia green who loves duran duran and rocks out to (laughs) team spirit nirvana like i mix in that space if i decide you know today that i'm in my foreign exchange I don't know, Maxwell space. I'm in that space today. But I want the luxury as a Black woman to slip and slide across all these different dimensions because that really is who I am, mm-hmm. right? I went, I grew up in South Central. I went to school in private. So I have, I have jammed out with Metallica. I have jammed out with Van Halen. I have went all the way through to some country music when I was living in Texas. Like there are so many different ways to experience me. Only placing me in this very narrow definition is a surefire way to piss me off, right? <laughs> and so, and so it, um, I get accused of, you know, not, not accused, but they like, oh, Cecilia's black. Oh, yes, but that blackness is multidimensional and multifaceted, and I wish you knew that about me before assigning all these uh, attributes that you think you know about me, right? Yeah. So that's what I would say. No, not, no, well, and again, I think what part of the, and I appreciate you uh, sharing that, Part of that made me even think about that question was when you had mentioned 
that there's a way that you speak, you know, at work versus yeah. when people actually really, really know you. And when they get to know you, they see, you know, see things differently. Right. And, you know, and I always look at it was I remember I hosted like a um, so I'm at I'm at work and I'm doing um, I'm just in the meet. You know what I mean? Like I'm the only one in there. I'm the only one of me, you know, in there. So I already have to kind of taper how I come at people. I have to taper. I got to make sure I'm paying attention to the financials and some other things. But when they ask me, how was my weekend? That's always like a damn doozy for me, right? <laughs> like, how was your weekend? What did you do, you know, this weekend? So it's like, so one day I actually said how my weekend was. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, it was like, one of those, like you, when you when you're stuck, figuring out how to transition because somebody just actually told you how that weekend was. They didn't really want me to tell them. So I think about that to say that I was laughing about it because in my mind, I'm thinking like, now I've known all you ladies for a long time. Okay. And I know there's the work, you know, uh, lady. And then there's the sister that I know away from work. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So I appreciate you being able to share about that, being able to put you in a box and how uncomfortable you know, that is for you, right? But this is part of the code switch dilemma. This is even part of the dilemma that we have to deal with in our own families because, well, Ricky, oh, you went to college. Oh, you a smarty arty. Or somebody's asking you to borrow money and you ask them just qualifying questions. Like, well, what are you trying to do with this money? And uh, what makes you think that I, you know, even have it? You know, it's like all of those things make you be different in one environment than, than, than the other. So I think this is part of us why we wanted to ask this question. So Cecilia, we appreciate you being able to share. What I would say about that though, Ricky, is that I think that I've had times in my career where being multifaceted actually gets me in trouble because they expect me to play that white role. Or mm -hmm. the role where I'm more closer to what they expect to see, right? So a lot of my, my superpower is my ability to connect and relate to people, right? So, you know, Aradia was talking a lot about how she interacts with a lot of the folks who are support, like support and like that's like that's where my where I'm most comfortable, right? I'm talking to the people who are doing the work, right? Because that's where I come from, right? And so oftentimes the way I, I built that rapport is very much like just being myself, right? And people really relate to that in a lot of ways because I'm most, I don't talk to anybody about anything, right? The challenge then becomes is when they sit back and they're like, oh, look at Cecilia, she, she's, there, you know, she's everywhere. She kind of can do this and do that. And they question whether or not I can do that financial work. If I can show up in a C-level meeting, if I can do that, right? Because I'm so good at working this angle, they then want to under, not give me the credit for being able to also work that senior angle, right? Mm -hmm. Until they see me in action, right? And then they see me in action, and they're like, oh, right? So there is a little bit of penalty in being Black and showing up as yourself because mm -hmm. they often question whether that translates into other spaces where they are that don't necessarily look like that. So sometimes they don't even understand our level of code switching that's actually happening. They don't get it. They, <laughs> they never don't get it. think that's true. But I don't. But if they, they get and it, there's an uncomfortable. Off, they're yeah. in off, right. I had a, um, you know, I do some work for my current company, and I had to work with some external partners, right? And these are people who are community organizations, and I shall remain nameless. But I did a roundtable with all of them, right? And so I get on the call and I was very purposeful. I didn't even have to say a word. I wore uh, a cardigan that had pink and green dots on it. 
Well, what does that mean? What does a pinky green even mean? Pinky green dots, which signify my sorority colors. Oh, okay. Right. And is one of the most uh, prestigious organizations out there. Uh, right. I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, but I will state that. Um, and so I have my pink and green on. You know, I even have a little pearls in my ears. I was ready to go, right? And so I get on this call with these community, Black community leaders and my coworkers, all white and me, right? And so I get on a call and this prominent CEO of a very prominent nonprofit organization that we all are familiar with was like, I see you and the whole black or black conversation gets going. And it was just amazing to kind of watch because they, my coworkers, had never seen that. And they, could, they and, and they couldn't join in the discussion. They couldn't join in. They couldn't center, they couldn't center themselves anymore. Right? Call like <laughs> right because I it's, that was my first time being on a call with ten leaders and folks that were non-black who could not contribute to this just natural conversation that we were brewing amongst ourselves. Now they right. needed you. They really needed you right now. They depended on you right Let now. Let me tell you, that was a uh, career making for many. <laughs> you know I mean? They're like, wow, you know, Cecilia, I can't believe you, you know, you connected so well with them. This is going to be great. We needed to build our rapport. Blah, blah. And, but it was, it was pure authenticity. You know what I mean? <laughs> I work very hard to make people feel comfortable. People are not naturally comfortable with me in the room. I just celebrated my 15 years at my company this past week, actually. Um, and it snuck up on me because it happened so quick. But one of the things that I can reflect back on is the feedback that I used to get early on is you are intimidating, you are far too direct, and you need to smile more. And when I think about it now, I smile all the time. Like, I don't even notice, but I'm smiling all the time. And I think it's just like, generally I'm happy, to, but I also do force it, you know? So the whole code switching thing, if I'm just like my natural comfortable self, I tend to be more of an introvert, um, but I cannot be that way at work, right? So I think that I have my, I have my work persona, I have my friend persona. I have my family persona. I have, I play lots of different roles. So I'm a wonderful actress. So when I can just like chill and be myself, which is not most of the time, then, you know, just like Cecilia said, it's very multifaceted. So that's a relief when I can I do that. Most of my Most of my waking hours is not that because I spend, you know, a long, large, time at work. And so, you know, while my company will say, come as you are, not really. They don't really want all of that. They don't they really want to bring your whole self to work, girl. Yeah. I mean, I think I do. I do let her out sometimes. And people are a little frightened. You know, when, when they need, when they, when we need to terminate someone, when we need to have a serious feedback conversation, you know, she comes, but most of the time I am, if I'm, if I really am brutally honest, I make people feel very comfortable with me in the room. Like I will say what I need to say, but the way I say it, and it, and I think this became real for me before I actually just got promoted to my current role. 
and I was speaking to a female leader, uh, another VP, and she said, you know what I noticed is when you're giving updates, you're happy all the time, even when the news is not good. And so I'm in finance and I often have to deliver negative news. But she said, I often don't know whether it's like, I'm looking at the deck, I'm looking at the numbers, I'm listening to you. But if I just listen to your tone, it's all rosy and positive. So I need you to actually tell me how to feel about this. And so we actually had a really good conversation. This happened to be a white woman, but we had a really good conversation about that and that, you know, I have gotten feedback in the past that I'm, that I need to be a little more rosy, a little more upbeat, a little more positive. So people will like be a little more accepting. You don't know what, you don't know, you don't 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 know what to do. You don't need to be like that. Say again? You don't know what to do. Like you're like. Yeah, it's, well, it's. (laughs) It's that code switching, right? Yeah. So you, so I definitely have one approach. So n- this is my current model. I don't know if it's working, but my current model is I have one approach when I'm presenting to mostly men, which is 90% of the time. Then I have a different approach when I present to women, senior leader women. I tend to come out with, a, I'm a little more, um, maybe authentic is the word. And um, then I'm with my team. So it's just different. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's exhausting. That's what I will say. It's tiring. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's very tricky to kind of keep track. Okay, what hat are we wearing today? And <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we appreciate it. No, I mean, we can both. I mean, I think all of us, even on, on, on the uh, call, can resonate with with, the, with with your message, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this shit gets tiring. Yep. Yeah, it really it gets tiring. And it's like, wait a minute, I wish you would have presented this way. Or when you did this, it's like, well, did you actually just listen to what, what I presented? <laughs> did you know, did you read the, did you, did you read the pre-read? Do you know what I'm saying? Like all of those types of things, like, then you would have known, you know, regardless. I mean, I could have, if my, if my mic went off, you could have went back to the pre-read and read the shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, but. But I think that's the difference that we bring into the room. I think we were t- actually talking about this maybe two weeks ago, Ricky. I was telling you there was a recent update and we were talking about how certain people will present mostly like the white men at my company. They can come in looking any kind of way. Like, oh, yeah. literally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's all about what they say, not how they look. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that that is different for women and it's definitely different for women of color. And, um, you know, I was thinking about that question, who gets sponsored? And I think it's like white men first, then white women, then Asian men, then maybe Asian women, then black men, then black women. Like it's like, <laughs> so I, th- and I think the requirements of when you're presenting to someone go up where people do listen to what you say but they also are distracted with how you're presenting, you know, whether you're confident, how you literally look on screen, your executive clearly presence, what you're saying, your, all of your, your presence, executive your presence, diction, everything. You know, uh, on this particular question with you, Arania. So again, I'll let you, I mean, we've been, you know, the ladies have been talking about, you know, specifics around, you know, not being black enough and, and how that's played out, whether it be in the community at work or, you know, however, you know, has that been an issue or something that you've had to deal with? I wish I could invite you to any family dinner. 
No, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, in my family, it's a problem. My sisters call me out about not being black enough. Something. I mean, okay, I'll say this. Like, you get the, oh, you're articulate. We get that, right? Yep. Most mm-hmm. of us have yes. heard that, right? Um, I'm from Alabama on top of it, right? And so, you know, certainly when I come home, if I'm in the grocery store just asking, where are the apples, right? They're like, you're not from around here, are you? Right, right. I Actually, so. I grew up, you know, um, I, I find myself, I stopped, but I found myself explaining why I speak the way I do. I, for as long as I've known myself, I've spoken this way, right? But I think it's um, the black enough thing. I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Um, I don't, as I, and as I think about it, right, growing up in the same home as my siblings that, that have I don't know. Um, something was different in our experience or the way that I chose to express myself that didn't sound or look stereotypically like black woman. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I've been getting there for a long time, but I, I can I have gotten to a place in my life where I'm very comfortable being who I am. The way that I see myself and I, this woman executive some years ago talked about her career and her life and how she's structuring things where she basically flows from room to room, right? And that's probably the least taxing way to live and exist in corporate America, right? Just kind of like treat your career and your home like a house. You, it, as close as you can be when you walk from the kitchen to the, to the dining room, you're gonna, it's going to be a little bit less exhausting. And I think I took that to heart and tried to, pre- to project that way. To that end, I think because um, I've settled into the same prick I am at work. I'm the same prick, you know, at home. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, super detail oriented, like you, things have got to be together. I, my family just, they, they hate that about me too also. <laughs> but um, so I, I, I have heard that, but I've embraced who I am, right? I, um, I show up like I show up. I, 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 and, and that's how I'm going to show up at my best. And so I think to, at, at this age now, it's no longer... It's no longer bothersome, but that's def- that definitely was a factor. And um, you know, I won't. I don't. I don't guess I'll live it down family-wise until I'm until we're we're old ladies. But <laughs> no, you, so you would hear you would hear from my siblings, and it's like, well, how come you don't remember this song or that song? But what I will say is that I do enjoy Too Short, um, the uh, the Bay, Bush Bill. <laughs> you know, just all you know, all the music from back in the day. But it just. You know, even even with kind of liking that, liking all the things that everybody else likes, I got that, you know, that mm-hmm. label, like enough. So we told y'all that our sister queens were not going to disappoint today, Mm-mm. right? Mm-mm. And listening to their stories reinforce how we put the weight of the world on black women's shoulders and expect them to show up and be their best every single day. Just think about the impact that has, Ricky. I mean, look. It's rough right now just thinking about all the stuff we have to do. But now when you think about the and one Mm -hmm. or the and two or three, like it's crazy. But in my mind, like the moral to the story is we just need to stop like corporate America. We just need to stop with all of the lip service about how important the sisters are to all of us and everything that we do. Yeah. Corporate America, the world. We need to stop. Stop it. Okay. And let's make our Actions actually match our words. Sounds easy. <laughs> but we ain't doing it. <laughs> we ain't doing that shit. <laughs> it's crazy. But you know what? Look, Keith, man, again, 
I know we get emotional about this. I know we talk about, you know, this with our sisters, and we heard them talking about it too, right? Mm-hmm. And look, you know when a sister's mad. Yeah, that's like, right. Like, we ain't got to try to, like, make no innuendos and, you know, all this other stuff. But rather than hear from us, man, let's just go ahead and hit them with these receipts like we always do. Like we always do. And today we're going to bring some receipts about just overall female, black female representation in the workplace. And so, Ricky, this first receipt, right now, this is fact, we have two black women leading Fortune 500 companies. Rosalind Brewer from Walgreens and Tachanda Duckett from TIAA. You said two. 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 Fortune 500. Fortune so 500. So it's 500 companies 500 out there. 500 coups. 500. <laughs> and we got two. We got two. Okay. Okay. There's only been three in the history. Oh, my goodness. Of our country. Where Ursula Burns, who headed Xerox for many years, also was the first. Yeah. And she retired a couple years back, right? And in the State of the Black Women in Corporate America report that was released by uh, Lena Ann and McKinsey, it showed that black women occupy 1.6% of VP roles in corporate America and 1.4% of C-suite roles, despite being 7.4% of the overall U.S. population. So we're talking about 100 like it, it, 100 points is like the 100%. Yeah. Like, right? That's yeah. like the scale. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. 1.6. <laughs> like, you got it. Okay, you got, got it. it. 99.4. Okay. That's right. So 1% make up 7% of the population. Now, white men make up 35% of the population, but occupy 57% of the VP roles and 68% of the C suite positions in corporate America. Just hogging all this shit up, man. Everything. Taking up all the space. But again, we're talking about actions matching the words Mm -hmm. and actions matching like reality. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Look, receipt number two is mad as I am about receipt number one. Okay, let's talk about receipt number two. Okay. That same report showed that for every 100 men promoted to manager, only 58 black women are promoted. Despite the fact that black women ask for promotions at the same rate as men, okay, the same rate. This is just the manager. <laughs> this ain't even director or C-suite. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just talking about... Manager. Exactly. One, and for every 100 men hired into manager roles, every 100 men hired into manager roles. I'm trying to make sure that I say this slow so people catch it. Only 64 black women are even hired. Okay? Mm-hmm. 64 black women are hired. Number two, that means that that there are fewer black women to promote every subsequent level. Okay? At every subsequent level, as there's fewer, fewer black women to promote. And the representation gap just keeps getting wider. So, Keith, I mean... I know you the math dude, you know, that's like what you do, okay? And um but this sounds like some fine print fuckery to me. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like this some shit you got to like dig into. You got to read on the you know side what? of the page to to it's, really understand you this. You know, it's just simple math. <laughs> you read it right. Man. <laughs> Black women are getting screwed at every single yeah, level. Absolutely. In corporate America. And receipt number three. And we spoke, you spoke about this earlier, this concept of intersectional invisibility. And that same lean-in report shows that 41% of black women have never, ever had a former interaction with a senior leader in their organization. Mm. And that compares to 33% of all women and 27% of all men. 
And to make it worse, 59% of black women say they haven't even had an informal interaction with the senior leader. Not even like a high on the elevator. They ain't even seen the motherfucker in the break room. They ain't seen him in the cafeteria. They ain't seen him nowhere. Oh, God. This is one of them things, again, where it's like I feel my blood kind of boiling right. just yep. a little bit here, right? Mm-hmm. Because, again, we put so much weight you know, on the sisters' shoulders. And, and again, we're talking about how they saved the election right. and how they did all of this stuff. All and we're stuff. promoting all these sisters to these DE&I roles and all of this all stuff. All this stuff. But, 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 let, and check, run them to death. But, but check back with us in a year or two from now. Let's see if those if we still have budget, right. you know, for those. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Look, man, receipt number four. And, and Malcolm and Malcolm X uh, was aligned when he said it, okay? Black women in the study report higher levels of having their competence challenged, disrespected. being disrespected, absolutely, and being heavily scrutinized when they are the only in the room. There you go. Most underappreciated, disrespected person in America. And, and look, I know y'all might not want to hear that Malcolm X said this shit, but was he lying? No, he wasn't. <laughs> the facts say what the facts say. This is why we come to you with the receipts. Because I know y'all hear from me and Keith, and y'all think we're getting dramatic. Okay? Yep. But we got receipts to back this kind of stuff up. Yeah, no doubt. And so, the facts are the facts. Yeah. But now we want to share some secrets with you about this whole issue. And today, instead of Ricky and I talking, we're just going to turn it right back over to our sister queens. And trust me, they have some gems for you today. I mean, it's a lot of shit we got to deal with. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's an awful lot of stuff. And what we should not have is stuff that we have to continue to deal with within our own community, within our own village. So I think I'll take this from, you know, when Cecilia said earlier is we got to fix our own stuff. You know, you know, definitely we have to fix our own stuff before we, you know, depend on other people to kind of correct themselves. Right. I mean, I know it's it's taxing you know, to be able to kind of keep educating people. But I think this conversation in itself is educating. You know, it's liberating in a way where we can kind of let one of these these community secrets out and actually tell them to deal with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all work on this. We see you, okay? And we're still trying to, like, play in these many rooms. I grew up in Virginia, in North Carolina, and, you know, my family calls me Carlton. <laughs> Right, because you remember Carlton from the Fresh Prince. I mean, that's who they think I am, right? Cecilia, it resonates. You know, Duran Duran. I grew up around white people. Duran Duran, Tears for Fears. Then I, you know, I'm articulate and all this stuff. So they just call me. I mean, everybody in my family think I'm fucking Republican, right? Yeah. (laughs) They thought for years. They thought for years that I was like fucking Republican. They thought. (sighs) Oh my. They did. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I get that, too. Just because oh I, get, I was God. articulate and I worked in finance, you have to be, you know, with the man. <laughs> There's no way you're not with the man. So it's just crazy. It's just crazy. crazy. We just got to stop all that shit. And, and the stuff. funny right. part about this, and the funny part about this is I heard one of Keith's cousins call him Carlton one time when they said Carlton, and I... And it just went over my head, and I was like, Carlton? And I'm like, they Carlton up in here? Like, and now it actually makes sense. It makes sense. Now, now it's not going to die. It's like those ashy hills I talked about in the last episode, right? Like, once you see that shit, you can't unsee it. You know what I'm saying? Once you see some ashy knuckles, 
I didn't hear some shit now, boy. Man, yes. I know you wanted to ask this question. Yeah, so that's ahead, right. Man. So we got, we're going to wrap up with this, uh, with kind of the last question and really thank thank you all for for everything that you've given today. But what what advice would you give to that little black girl um, who, you know, either going to school right now, going to college, starting their career, uh, when it comes to this issue around colorism and how to how to deal with it and how to how to how to live your life mm-hmm. and, and still be your best. Right. So what advice would you give? I, that's a really good question. My initial response would be you need to be yourself and get some support. Right. Speak. You know, if you're uncomfortable, talk about why so you can get some support. But you need to. You know, the thing that immediately popped into my head, which is a little embarrassing, is they just don't know you yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, love, I love that, though. I love it. I love it. I love it. They just don't yes, know you yet. I would say, um, you know, be be comfortable with being yourself because it is a lot of work to not be yourself. And that energy is takes you away from really putting into what you can do. If you think about if there's person A and person B and person A can use 100% of their energy to do what they need to do, they're going to get so much further than person B who's trying to figure out, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. They're using up all this energy and worry about trying to control a situation they can't really control anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, then they're not going to be able to do as much. No, but I would say ask for help, ask for support and probably share how you're feeling. Would, would be my advice. Yeah, I would say, um, similar to Jamie, it is you are worthy, number one. You are supposed to be here or there, right? You're supposed to. And then I think lastly, I would, I would encourage them to live unapologetically, right? Don't spend years being someone that you're not. Mm-hmm. Your pride will find you and you'll find your tribe. The minute you said the little girl, the first thing that came to mind for me is what would I tell myself as a little girl? Mm-hmm. And it's really funny. I'll, I'll digress just a little bit. I have always like, and I think Ricky knows this about me too. I, I tend to have weird premonitions about things like things that I think about. Like, so sometimes I can always articulate them in a way that makes sense to me. But like what came to mind immediately was that everything you have is within you. You are enough. Right. And so I say that because I actually have this personal, I have a tattoo on my back and that's my tattoo symbol is everything you have within you. Right. Is It's within. Right. It's a figure within a circle. It's all encapsulated. And that was the meaning behind that. Right. And so I think as a young girl, I always look for validation outside of myself. Right. Looking for other people to tell me how I should feel because I didn't trust myself. I wasn't necessarily validated. I wasn't there. Um, I wasn't reinforced in that way by anybody, right? Because that just wasn't how my family was. They just weren't self-aware. You know, we're so much self- more self-aware now than we've ever been. But like, that just wasn't my daddy from Louisiana, my mama from Texas. That just wasn't their, you know, way. They loved me, of course, but like that validation. And I felt like my experiences forced me to look outside of myself. And so my my advice to any young girl and even my own inner child who still needs healing, right? Is everything you have is within you and you deserve every bit of it. That is what I would do. Man, oh God, Lee, man, we told y'all 
these ladies were going to bring it. I mean, now you see why we had to had to get them on on the show one more time. One right? more, one more like, again. Like my man said, one more again. There you go. We had to get them on because, I mean, this was. Uh, that advice that they gave us was just so powerful. Again, we want to thank Cecilia, Jamie, Arania for another hot fire episode. I mean, we could not have imagined that it was going to be this good. Yeah, you know, we know these sisters had great. had it going on, had it cracking, but we didn't know it was just going to like connect the way that it did. So we appreciate you, sisters, for just bringing it. And if you want to learn more about what we discussed today. Go to our website. We got some 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 great articles, you know, out there and some other things. I know a lot of folks want to ask us all the time, well, where'd you get that receipt from? And I have people emailing me saying, can you repeat that receipt for me? Well, look, I'm going to tell you just go to our website at secrets.com or look in the show notes, you know, for these episodes. Like we have the same stuff. And I guarantee you, if you uh, spat out some of these things and some of your, your meetings and some of your panel discussions, they're going to be like, ooh, wee, who That's was right. that? That's where right. you get that from? That's right. And again, if you like what we are given, here's how you can help us out. First, stock up on that merch. And for Pride Month, we have launched some hot new LGBTQ Pride designs. So you don't want to miss them, right? Yeah, I got mine. I got mine. And to top it off, we are donating 25% of all the proceeds from all purchases this month to Glisten and to the Empowerment Program at the Center for Human Development. And both of these organizations are amazing. They're making sure our LGBTQ youth are able to thrive and be their authentic selves. And and look, look, Keith, I mean, I think that's uh that's huge. I mean, and we're we're trying to figure out ways to kind of make sure that the legacy, you know, continues here mm-hmm. and we're able to support the community. Yeah, no doubt. And get your friends, get your friends and colleagues to just listen to our podcast, right? Yeah, because that the, review. The main ones that say they don't need it be the main ones that need it. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> you know. But look, man, Keith. I don't have much ice left in my cup over here, man. It's getting a little low over here. Uh So we need to wrap up so I can refill this cup. But before we sign off, I just want to remind everyone to get vaccinated. So some of y'all out there fronting, some of of my friends are out there saying, I'm trying to do some research. Now, I know y'all and y'all know me. Y'all ain't researchers. They don't know what they're researching, Keith. They out there just messing around. So my thing is, seriously, you know, we're getting closer and closer every day to getting back to normal or what our new normal is going to be like. So just do your part. Go out there and get it. You know what I'm saying? Protect yourself. Protect your family. But thanks again, everybody, for joining in. We had so much fun today. Good time today. But remember, on Secrets, when we share, you transform. No doubt. Goodbye, everybody. Peace. Thank you all for listening today. Hopefully you gained a secret or two that can be applied as your journey continues. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Don't forget to tune in next time for more Hot Fire. Until then, cheers! Cheers!